The 2019-2020 season is critical for the Pac-12, their schools, and their fans. It's critical to the survival as a Power 5 conference. We all know that the conference has fallen behind in money, but now there is a way the conference can survive. This is George Reister. I'm here with Ralph Amsden, and you're listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. critical condition in terms of financially and viewership interest all of that and that's why i believe that the next you know three or four seasons until this magic tv deal comes out of the blue that it is going to be critical for the pac-12 to not only perform well in the non-conference games but it has to do well every time it's on a national stage in a non-conference game because those are the things that are going to drive up interest when it turn when it comes to uh, the TV deal and also generating more fans. I don't. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I hear again and again and again, twenty twenty four. Right, that's the magic number. But that's the magic number for what? For a conference that uh, has been heavily, probably deservedly criticized for a lot of their decisions leading up until now that 2024 will then be the magic bullet that everything finally happens. I remember being in college and, and saying, you know, Hey, if, if I go to bed now, I can get five hours of sleep, wake up, do two hours of homework and be there in time for class. And I wait another hour. <laughs> you know, if I, if I go to bed now, I can get four and a half hours of sleep. I can do a good 90 minutes on this assignment. It's still be a B plus thing and we can go ahead and get it in. And then, you know, a, a, a a couple hours later, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to copy off someone else. So, like, <laughs> you know, this is it's a situation where you have to look at the people that are involved. And the people that are involved are the ones who are the architects of the mess that they're in right now, of the mess that is going to put a $1 billion with a B gap between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten just between now and when that deal comes up in 2024 based on the current TV rights. And so – um, th- this might be a critical season, um, but if we're talking hospital metaphors, then you know you got a patient who might be allergic to the medication that they're getting, and and that's what I worry about with the Pac-12 is that the people involved aren't going to be able to to correct the course. So I think in in the mess that the that the conference has found itself in in terms of TV rights, distribution, money, all of that, I think that the only way out is to win. I mean, that's the only way out. If you are looking to just hope that there's interest for no apparent reason, no. The reason why people watch the SEC, care about the SEC, it, along with the fact of some of their broadcast partners help help out with the situation, it's the fact that they go out and they win. If the Pac-12 puts up a couple national championships in the next, by 2024, then people have to pay attention to them. But the thing that scares me is always that hope out for the future. Oh, something magical is going to happen in 2024. And I'm looking, no, like don't take on water on the ship. Like we're in the Titanic right now. And it doesn't look like the Titanic. It just looks like normal ship. It's just, uh, 
you know, going a little slower than everybody else. But in reality, it's taking on water. And to stop that, you have to you have to win. And you also have to change course because one of the things that that the best ability in all of whether it's sports, whether it's life is availability. And the Pac-12 is not available for fans of the Pac-12 is not available for football fans for them to see so many of the games. Because the Pac-12 network is only available now on like Sling and I don't even know what else. Because right, I'm so a, I, I went through this. I went through this yep. this week because I have Sling. And I have Sling because I need access to the Pac-12 network in order to do my job. But I also want to watch the Suns and the Diamondbacks because I'm out here living in Arizona. And I can't watch them now because Sling dumped the regional uh, Fox Sports channels now that they're they're owned by Disney. You know, and this is all way above my pay grade as to why any of this is happening. But so I had to go on a scavenger hunt for, all right, what's the next best option for me? So I checked Hulu TV because a lot of people said some real positive things about that. No I love Hulu TV. I love Hulu TV, by the and way. And no, no Pac-12. I mean, it'd be fantastic if it had the Pac-12 network, but it doesn't. So I go to YouTube TV. No Pac-12 network. So then I check Direct TV, and I know for a fact there's no Pac-12 network there and no plans to do anything of that nature. And so, you know, it comes to me of like, all right, well, do, do I go back to, to plug it in and get the local cable package and spend 250 bucks a month to bundle it with internet, whereas I'm only spending 40 bucks a month now for Sling? You know, do, do, do I take on that type of financial burden or what else do I do? The only thing that I could find was uh, Fubo TV. Fubo TV has the, the Pac-12 uh, as well as the regional sports packages that I need, but I'm going to spend two and a half times what I spend right now. So now, I just you hit the nail right on the head with that one where you got to talking about the economics of the issue when that's with the availability, because if you're looking at trying to find Pac-12 games, is the Pac-12 valuable enough for you to spend 200 an, an additional $200 a month to watch football games or watch some volleyball and baseball games? It's not to most people. Right. I mean, even though that this is your job, it's still not tenable to do that. So if you're looking at the, like, if you're the conference, you have to find a way. I know these deals are in place, but everybody wants to make money. So maybe find a way to get with either YouTube TV or Hulu TV. That way it's available for more people. Because the more people that see it, the more people are interested in it because people love football. They will watch good football games if it's a good game. It doesn't matter whether it's Appalachian State and Michigan or whether it's Alabama and LSU. If it's a good game and it gets close and something good is going on, they will turn it on. The Pac-12 has to be available. And I think that that's where, that's why the winning becomes so crucial. Because then they can, because at the current rate, the uh, Pac-12 has had two teams in the national championship, which was Oregon twice, I think in 2011 and 2015. Didn't win either one. But the conference hasn't won a national championship since USC. So now you're looking at, okay, so now team, so now the country can dismiss the Pac-12. Oh, they're irrelevant. Oh, they don't matter. So now you become the lowest tiered in, in people's minds. Not not in the actual 
not in actuality in terms of talent, production, um, good teams, all of that. You put yourself in a situation where they can discount your conference, make you the lowest tier team, and there's no outrage or backlash when you get left out of the playoffs or some injustice happens to you. Then they just say, oh, oh, it's just the Pac-12. That's why you have to win. They go two and seven in in bowls two years ago, and Larry Scott's response to to the Pac twelve going two and seven in bowl play was that it's better to show up than it is to perform anyway. Ha! So you, you need to focus on the fact that they were even there in the first place. No, that's not yeah. it. Like that, right? It, and I don't understand, R- Ralph. Can you explain to me why? I, I mean. At, at some point in time, because I was I was reading a book on I read a lot of books on business and leadership and all of this, and they talk about how sometimes the culture in companies is to only talk about the good things, never talk about the bad things, and pretend like the bad things don't exist. And they talked about that the greatest companies, that the a lot of times the people at the bottom tiers of the company, the people in the mailroom, people in you know the ticket office, all the wherever. They can see the failures happening. They can see the water being taken on because they're at the bottom. They see it. They see the organic part of it. And then those people turn around and they try to tell the higher ups, but they don't really want to hear it. And they don't ignore it when in actuality they need to address it. I want to see Larry Scott say, look, we can't go two and seven in bowls. We got to do better. And like that's the stance that the conference should take. Like It's got to matter more to the president. It's got to matter more to the schools, and it's got to matter more to the fans. Well, and and everybody knows what the financial driver is of of these conferences. It's the it's the the sports that generate a profit, like basketball and football. Other sports are important, and I love other sports, and they definitely contribute to the the climate of a of a healthy you know student athlete experience. But you can't have Larry Scott getting up on a podium every single year and saying. UCLA gymnastics sure was something this year. Meanwhile, you know, USC can't even land a four-star recruit because these kids can't even go to see the games in person because they're on Thursday and Friday nights. You know, so, you know, you you can't do stuff like that. It'd be like, you know, imagine if you were a very competitive company in any industry. Let's say it's just making toilets, right? Like you have a certain market share. There's five major companies that produce toilets and urinals all over the country. And you're one of those five. And and you get on a call with your shareholders. And the first thing you say is, because you're lagging behind the other four companies, the first thing you say is, man, we sure sell way more urinal cakes than everybody else. But like, that's not what anybody wants to hear. Good for <laughs> you in that area. But like, you're known for making toilets. And so we want to hear that you can try to outsell some of these other four companies. And and every single year, Larry Scott gets up on that podium and touts the urinal cakes, and we want to hear about the toilets, you know, and not be a toilet. And that's that's really what it comes down to is, you know, he's really taken up to finding the positive spin in any and every situation when the truth is, like, there's less and less to be positive about for the reason that people are even paying attention to this conference in the first place. It's Pac-12 football media day. Why do nobody cares about the gymnastics championship? The fact that UCLA won in softball, all those things are great. Like they are all great. But at the end of the day, 
there are only two sports that move the needle in in college sports. That is football. Football's number one. Football's number two. Football's number three. And then the NCAA tournament is number four. Right. I mean, it, it's it's that simple. So you have to, if even if the Pac-12 conference never won in any other sport but won in football every year, guess what? It would be looked at as the number one conference. Agreed. Agreed. Which brings me, you, you talk about the best of ability being availability. And that brings us to our next topic, right? I mean, they're seeking to be more available through being open to 9 a.m., kickoffs george what's your take on 9 a.m kickoffs in the situation that the pac-12 has found itself in there are the big 10 has a uh is owned partly by the well the big 10 and his broadcast rights are owned partly by fox uh espn with the sec uh the acc with espn as well you looking at the time slots that are taken up already, besides the national televised game, besides the five o'clock West Coast time game and you know, and the other time slot and the 12 o'clock, those are different. Those are shared amongst some of the conferences. So aside from those games, all the other time slots, besides what the Pac-12 has now at night, are taken up. And the idea that the Pac-12 is the only thing on at night, yes, that's a big deal. Yes, it's good. But the problem is you're only catering to football fans on the West Coast. And a lot of times for them, it's late. Like It's late It's late because I have five kids. Some of them as young, I have a newborn and also as young as eight years old. So a couple years ago, taking a five, six-year-old to a, a 7.30 kick, yeah, that's kind of tough, dude, because about the third quarter, he's grumpy, he's ready to go to sleep, all of that. And so it, it's found itself in a situation where availability is important. So what? Uh, where are your other options for time slots? 9 a.m. sucks for the players, it sucks for the fans, but if you're trying to get more visibility to your conference and, and promote your product, you're going to have, I mean, like, I don't see any other options for time slots unless you go to a YouTube TV, a Hulu TV, and and find a way to negotiate with your current broadcast partners. To- maybe, 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 but you're still talking about the people that have done this negotiating in the first place and seem to be rolling over for Fox just wanting to have some content to compete with the last hour of college game day. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh because uh, FS1 did start their uh, FS1 did start uh, a college football morning show. That's going to go on during the last hour of college football game day. It's going to have urban Meyer, Reggie Bush, um, Matt Leinert, uh, Rob Stone, and those are the only people I can think of that are on it now. And so, so that network, so that network's going to kneecap their own coverage. They're gonna they're gonna undercut their own they're gonna undercut their own <laughs> brand new show by having people tune into Cal Oregon State. I mean, what what's the thought process here from from even the network? I mean, you can capture some of those ratings, but you know, if you're chasing people who live in Big Ten country 
to get an hour of football in before they turn the game over to, you know, whoever Purdue is playing against that they're going to do that. You're only going to catch them for the amount of time that they're waiting for the football. That's more relevant to their situation to come on. So, I mean, you're going to see ratings for these games, these 9am kickoffs, you're going to see ratings for these games take an enormous dip uh, with about five minutes left before 10am. And I mean, then what do you do? Do you turn around and just try as hard as you can to sell ad time? You know, if you're if you're Fox, you just turn around and try real hard to sell ad time in that first hour and say, you know, that that's what matters, because that's really what all of this is about. You know, people say it's about eyeballs, but it has to be the right eyeballs. It doesn't matter. You, you talk about Pac-12 after dark. It does not matter that Pac-12 after dark is on in a Jacksonville Applebee's at two in the morning if nobody at that Applebee's has any ability to financially influence the health of the Pac-12 conference. It doesn't matter. The only thing that it helps is a network to be able to say, well, all these TVs that couldn't be tuned to anything else were tuned to the Pac-12, and so we're going to use that to make a little bit more money on ad sales. If the eyeballs don't have the ability to convert into something positive for the conference, I feel like it's a waste because you're prioritizing these TVs that are on in sports bars, you know, that people may or may not be paying attention to over the experience of the fan. And the best thing about the NFL, and I like college football way more than I like the NFL, but the best thing about the NFL is you know what to expect week to week. You have that schedule. You know when you can get out there. You know when you can tailgate. You know when you can be part of the community. If the NFL was in a situation where every single week you didn't know what time it was going to kick off until six days beforehand and the range could be anywhere from nine in the morning until eight at night, that would be freaking insane and the NFL would suffer. But the Pac-12 subjects itself to this. Meanwhile, they're kicking off on Thursdays. Meanwhile, they're kicking off on Fridays so recruits can't actually go be on the sideline. So those recruits take visits to other conferences where they can be on the sideline for Ohio State, Michigan and stuff like that. You are You are – Robbing Peter to pay Paul, but Paul might not actually have anything for you. And so uh, I I don't know if I agree with the idea of just trying to find some way to get exposure, you know, because what are you being exposed to? You know, there's plenty of stuff you can be exposed to that's not good for you, like radiation. Right. And I I feel like like this is a radioactive scenario. Well, it's almost like the conference just keeps accepting all the scraps. You know, Absolutely. it's 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 kind of like, um, a, okay, so the Lakers and the Clippers both play at the Staples Center, right. and the between the Lakers, the Kings, and you know, concerts and all of this stuff that go on, there is a certain hierarchy in who gets the preferred game days, and in the NBA, I found this out. I didn't even know that the least desirable day for teams to play on is Monday. And guess which, between the Lakers and the Clippers, guess who has more Monday games? The Clippers. Because they were third in the pecking order behind the Lakers, Kings, and then it came the Clippers. So then you get left with the scraps. And when you get left with the scraps, then, you know, you don't get fully appreciated. You're like, oh, just, oh, just, just give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. He'll take it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, right. we'll so act like this about, is great. You're talking about a chicken salad out of chicken shit situation. 
But the Pac-12 is too readily uh, uh, willing to eat that chicken shit. And I think 9 a.m. Yep. is chicken shit. Well, oh, okay. So what is the so what is the solution? I, I mean, because I think that the Pac-12 has been unwilling to to do some hard things, which are okay. So you're not generating nearly as much revenue as you want to generate all this other stuff in contracts. There are clauses to be, to break contracts. Yes. So and and every and everything, even though the ink's on the paper, everything is negotiable. If you can find a way for your broadcast partners, for all the regional networks and all of this stuff that you're that uh, that make up the Pac-12 network, if you can find a way to make them more financially solvent, to make them more money, then guess what they will say about breaking or renegotiating the current deal? Oh, absolutely. They will say, no problem. Go ahead and find me an answer. I mean, it's like a team... Like when the uh, when the Pittsburgh Steelers wanted to trade Antonio Brown, he wanted to be traded. They wanted to be traded. They're like, find us a trade partner, and we will. And yes, we wanted to keep you at first, but now we want you gone too because we want a better situation. So you know, so we're willing to let you out of this contract to help us out too. And and it just seems like 2024 is just so far away, and it feels like if there's another excuse in 2024. Then I I feel like it, I just it just feels like the course that we're headed on is that there won't be a power five conferences. There will be a power four conferences, and the and the and there won't be playoff expansion because the Pac twelve will just be on the same plane as well a tick above the not the group of five teams tick above the Boise States the Houston's the um, the UCF's when it comes to getting in the playoff that they will have just a slightly better chance because the talk all the time now is, oh, can the Pac-12 get in? And that's why Oregon's game against Auburn this year is a must-win for the Pac-12. It is an absolute must-win. I And I talked to some of the players at Pac-12 Media Day. They know it too. They know it. They're like, if the Pac-12 wants to make a playoff berth this year or potentially next year, you have to win these games because the SEC rarely ventures out and is willing to play Pac-12 games. And they're definitely not scheduling no damn home and homes or they cancel it. So you have to take advantage of these opportunities because then if you beat Auburn and then Auburn, which sometimes happens in the Iron Bowl, beats Alabama – now you got a situation to where it's going to be so obvious and the commissioner won't have a choice but to say, this is garbage. This is BS. We're not taking it. Like you like you have to stand up and fight at some point in time. And that, that's why we said in the beginning, this is critical for not only the teams, the schools, but it's critical for fans. Like you guys have to get excited and ignited about this. Go read up on Unafraid Show or wherever else about the Pac-12. Get in people's mentions. Make comments. Show up to the games. And if you're a UCLA or USC or Stanford fan or Cal, stand up and make noise all damn game. Stop being silent. Get up. Like, this is critical to you and your fan base. I know you got other stuff to do, and it's not cool. Be a fanatic about your team. 
they are, and you're right. The conference is going to have to be lifted up from from the bottom. It's going to have to be an inside out transformation because it's just not it's just not happening through the current leadership structure. One of my biggest issues is that the conference doesn't really have an identity, and having no identity is its identity. Like, and 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 I hate that the conference is so unique and so diverse that your identity should be the fact that everything is so different here. Like that should be the, the thing that is pushed and celebrated. I remember playing Mario Brothers as a kid, right? Every world is different. You got, you know, the ice world and the sky world and, and you know, in the dungeons and all that stuff. Like everything is different and you should build around that. When a team comes to play in Arizona in either Tempe or Tucson, who cares? Who cares if it's the hottest part of the day? You're yep. coming and you're playing in hell. Like make that your identity. Make it a Mad Max thing to be proud of. You're coming out to the desert and this team is built for this. And if you want to come win at Arizona State University, you're going to have to play when it's 108 on the field at kickoff. You're just going to have to. And the fans will get over it and they will show up. If you make that that, that the identity and you make it a consistent kickoff time, the fans will show up. I know this because – that stadium used to be all metal bleachers. And George, I went out and I watched you play when you, when you were playing for Jacksonville. I went to Arizona Cardinals game. And oh, I sat it was in those hot burning hot, dude! It was blazing. We I remember that was a that was a uh, afternoon kickoff too. wasn't even late, like one of those one o'clock kickoffs. Boy, it is yeah. burning fire outside. Yeah, and we and 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 the fans will go if you give them uh if if they know that that's what they're getting into. They'll go out there, they'll party, they'll have a good time, they'll take care of each other. And yeah, you could say like, "Oh, but we're losing some fans because they don't want to go sit out there in the heat." But we're already at Arizona State dropping 6 to 7% in attendance every single year due to the other factors. If you're at University of Washington, you should be playing under those lights prime time every time in that stadium. Yep. Like you, it, you, you should be getting a, a, a six o'clock kickoff every time you're at home with the wind and and just the noise and and everything. Everybody, you know, if you're at if you're playing your football games in LA, that's a one o'clock kickoff, and, and you know. And those games are in the daytime in in that beautiful place, and that's what it's known for. Like if you're if if you're in Colorado, you know maybe an early kickoff when it's still like super cold and in in October is something that nobody wants to come play. Like embrace the things that make your stadium a little bit miserable and a little bit different, and wear that identity. You know, you see fans going shirtless in Green Bay because that tradition is there. Like in, yeah. in, in or at Soldier Field in Chicago in the NFL, I think the NFL really has it right that you build tradition through making an identity and then having your fan base fit into that identity. It's really hard to establish any type of identity at all when you kick off at a different time every single week where you don't know what's going to happen until six days out and when you don't actually promote what makes these schools so diverse and so different. I mean, if you've ever been to a, a game in Salt Lake, those fans are on you yeah like there's only yep. forty thousand in that stadium it might as well be eighty thousand yeah because the, the the way that the bleachers are sloped and how close they are to the sidelines like play that up 
that, yep. that Salt Lake and the fans have no problem being part of that. They're crazy, but Salt Lake is a hostile yeah. place to play, and, and they should be promoting the hell out of that. And instead, all of the energy is just into, hey, what time are we going to? And it could be anybody. These nine a.m. kickoffs, you and I both know, it's not going to be any good teams. No, 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 no. no. You're not going to. Well, actually, actually, I don't. I don't agree with that, Ralph, because. They might mess around and put Washington and Oregon at a 9 a.m. kickoff. That'd be freaking wild. I mean, I mean, that's and that's why I say the Pac-12 has to craft its schedules. Like, stop yeah. just stop just sending it out to Colorado to the company and letting them come up with whatever because you want parity. Stop scheduling for parity. You need haves and have-nots. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but you need teams that are are that appear elite, even if they're not, because that's what happens in other conferences. You got the SEC. Alabama, a- Alabama this year, their non-conference is, is Duke, ITT Tech, DeVry, and and the and the and the and the uh, orphanage. Like that's who they're playing yeah. in their non-conference. And then they play their conference games. And then they schedule them for success. They give them bye weeks, all of this. And coming into the season, we know who the teams that are, when the schedules were made, we already knew who were going to be the better teams in the Pac-12. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Utah. And like we we knew that already. So yeah. if you know that, then backload the schedule. That way Oregon plays Washington toward the end of the year. Make it so Stanford plays Oregon toward the end of the year, like and a bye week in front of it. The way you get to to build up the pomp and circumstance, the hype of the entire week, like when when Alabama plays LSU, you hear about that game because it's a bye week in between, or they play a cupcake, a November cupcake in between. You hear about that game for two straight weeks. For two right. weeks, you hear about it. And then they get to artificially move up the the rankings because of that. Like it, well, and the Pac-12 has to be willing to do that. So you know, you talked about us kind of knowing who is going to be uh, the the good teams, and I think that that should bring us into our third segment, which is actually revealing our ballots, revealing who we believe uh, is going to be in each place in the North and the South. Uh, which, which I think, I think you and I have already <laughs> outlined that we have a couple of very glaring differences. But I'm interested. I mean, let's let's start up in in, in your neck of the woods where you played. Um, who do you have finishing first in in the Pac-12 North? I have Oregon finishing first in the Pac-12 North. Okay, they, they have the best offensive line in the entire conference and probably in the entire nation. They definitely have the most experienced. Um, they have a bunch of guys who are going to be NFL players. And I think that their offense, that Oregon season hinges itself on one thing. That is the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Arroyo, how he calls this offense and how he runs the offense. Last year, the team started out like gangbusters. They slowed down at the end of the year, couldn't score. The offense became a little bit stale. They did have some injuries, but that's not really a good excuse. So Oregon season is going to hinge upon their offensive coordinator. 
I mean, that's that's literally it. They got uh, Coach Avalos, the defensive coordinator from Boise State, who I hear is doing a wonderful job there. They have got a lot of the fighting out of the building because uh, Jim Levitt, who was the defensive coordinator at Colorado, who came over to Oregon, him and Mario Cristobal weren't getting along. So now that you got that out of the building, the defense should be in good shape. They're very talented. They're good up front. They're good in the, especially in the defensive secondary. So they have a real shot. And you look at this team and you're like, this is a team that if their offense is good, because their defense is going to be real solid, that could that could be a national championship, well, Pac-12 championship and a playoff potential team. So that's who I got first in the North. I got Washington second in the North. I would okay. I would have Stanford second in the North, but their schedule is just brutal. Like their schedule is is brutal. I mean, I I would love all conference schedules to look like Stanford's, but they just like like they're doing it right, but they're doing it wrong at the same time because they got Northwestern. Then at USC, at UCF, Oregon, at Oregon State, Washington. All that's the that's there are no bye weeks in between there. That's their beginning of the season. That's a ridiculous start to the season. And it's gonna be extremely tough. So you're looking at it and you're like, man, I I I just don't know how they make it through that un unscathed. I just I just don't see it. And David Shaw has to has to let KJ Costello throw the football. And, you know, and last year they couldn't run the football. So if you can't run the football the way you Stanford normally does, let the boy throw the ball. And then and then you got um Cal who is going to like the the, the North is so loaded, Ralph. I mean it's crazy. So you have you have you have Cal at four. Yeah, I do. I do have Cal. Okay. I have Cal at four, Washington State at five, and Oregon State at six. But at but at the same time, with Stanford's schedule, Cal could Cal could finish third. Like like Cal is the most Cal is the most underrated team in the Pac-12. Last year, Cal scored I think twenty points a game and gave up um, nineteen points a game. I mean, 19 points yeah. or or it was 19 and 18. They only scored one more point than they gave up, which is usually a recipe for disaster. But their right. defense is so freaking good. Their, their defensive backs coached by Gerald Alexander, who will be a defensive coordinator soon, is going to – I mean, they have two guys that are probably going to be first-round draft picks. So imagine Washington's defense last year, but put it at Cal. And that's what you got. And if they can get Chase Garbers even uh, to do even well, e- even better, because I, I know that there's a quarterback thing there because everybody's wondering who's going to start Devin Monster or Garbers or that freshman kid. Then and they can get him to play well. Cal's got a shot. What do you think, Ralph? I think, I mean, I think you, you first of all, you and I, we, we've got the same four, five, six. I have Cal going six and six. I have Washington State going seven and five. But I have Cal beating Washington State to to be above them. So, and I'm I'm one of those haters that uh, that doesn't take into account the fact that Washington State has the most wins in the Pac-12 over the last three years. 
I still, I, I am not a believer. Uh, I think that they'll come back down to earth a little bit. And I, I mean, I look forward to being wrong because I think I said the same thing about them last year. So uh, we'll see if that plug and play system they have at quarterback up there uh, is working for them. But I have Washington State at five. I have Cal at four. Oregon State at six. I like some of the things that Oregon State is doing. I just don't know if they'll be able to stop any of the bleeding defensively. They sure can run the ball, though. Jamar Jefferson is an incredible running back, and they're actually pretty deep at that position and pretty decent on the offensive line. So you and I have the same four, five, six. But in the North, and and this is going to seem like a stretch, especially considering they graduated pretty much their entire defense last year, but I have Washington going 11-1 and and winning the North. Yeah, absolutely. I have them winning pretty much every game. I have them going into the October 19th game. At home against Oregon, which I think will make the difference, I have them going into that game with only one loss happening at Stanford. Are you serious? October. Yeah, the the I bet Eastern Washington they're going to. No, I'm saying who do you who do you have them losing to? Stanford at Stanford. That's it. I have them losing one game all season because their road games their road games are relatively easy. Uh, Arizona, Oregon State, and Colorado. That's all they have to worry about on the road in conference. They do go to BYU, uh, but I think BYU is a little bit too young to, to really pose a challenge to them. Honestly, like Jacob Eason is, is probably the best high school arm that I've ever seen. And so if he can recapture some of that magic and being back home in Washington with some of the weapons they have on this offense, I do have questions about them. I don't know if Salvan Ahmed is a feature back, and I do know that they're going to have about nine new starters on defense. But the thing about those nine new starters – like Keith Taylor and Levi uh, on Wuzarike and, and guys like that, they were all superstars. Brandon McKinney, they were all superstars in high school. They've been chomping at the bit just to be able to get on the field. Yeah. So they're about to unleash a whole new level of talent on the Pac-12 with the, the recruiting they've done on the defensive side of the ball. It all really comes down to Jacob Eason. And the one question mark I have for a team like Oregon is in their secondary. They, it's, it, 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 they, got, they got what, four juniors? Yeah, they have all shown Len- flashes. Lenore Graham um, at the cornerbacks. And the best kid, I think, in terms of NFL potential in their secondary is a kid named Javon Holland. Like, that kid is yeah. absolutely special and spectacular. But but in terms of Washington, though, I do agree with you with Jacob Eason. I think that he has to play well. But I'm not sold on 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 him the same way everybody else is. I saw him play in Georgia. He's a pretty good quarterback. Like he's not he's not a bum. But it is totally right. different having to throw the ball as many times a game as he's going to have to in the Pac-12 against complex coverages than they do in the SEC, where like quarterback play is not a, at a premium in the SEC on a regular basis. And I agree there, but I don't think that he converted from being a West Coast quarterback just in his okay. couple of years out at Georgia. He's going to be looking out on defenses full of kids that he destroyed at the high school level. And so, like, what do you think about you know, his and I know weapons? It really comes down. Uh, I, the tight ends are incredible, right? Yeah, Hunter Bryan and yeah. Kate Otten are are really really good. I like the offensive line not as much as I like Oregon's offensive line, um, but I, I mean the wide receivers are going to have to step up. Aaron Fuller and Ty Jones are okay, yeah. but you know, someone's going to have to c- come out and be a star because again, I don't think they're going to get the production from the running back position. Their backup, Sean McGrew, he's about five foot six, one eighty, And you know, he'll, he'll be a huge weapon in the passing game 
Um, but I don't know if Salvan Ahmed goes down. I honestly don't know what they're going to do at running. So it's oh, dude, a lot of it's really to, conditional. I talked to the, I saw some of the Washington coaches in one in an airport and I was talking to them about the team and they thought that Jake Browning got a little bit of a bad rap last year, even because their, their weapons around him weren't that great besides Gaskins in the, besides Gaskin in the backfield that they didn't, I mean, they yeah. had Coleman too, but they didn't really, but you know, it's different with your wideouts because he was like, uh, the coaches said that they were so explosive the previous years with the, um, uh, what is the kid's name who got drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, the pass kid. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I'm not going to be able to remember though. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, that they had him, they had Dante Pettis, like that they had dudes at wideout. And yeah. and last year, if you noticed that they didn't spread it out and let Jake Browning throw it or run it like he had in the past. Because And they said that that was due to the lack of experience and, to be honest, a little bit of lack of talent at the wide receiver position. So they thought that this year that hopefully that those guys were able to mature and get a little bit better and help out Jacob Eason. And they are depending on the same guys. I mean, Fuller, uh, Akelia, Jones, they're, they're, I think they were three of the top receivers on the team. So, they, I mean, they're returning a lot of experience, 10 touchdowns between them, uh, almost 150 receptions between the three of them. Uh, but again, none of them are stars. None of them are game breakers. And so you're going to have to, if Jacob Eason's really going to have to be a distributor and move the ball all over the field, or someone's going to have to break out of that mix um, and I, I don't think they have really any young guys on the offensive side of the football. But I do believe just with the way that their schedule set up and getting Oregon at home and Utah at home in back-to-back weeks, that's going to be – or not, they, they get a week off before Utah. Yeah. But getting Oregon and Utah at home was the biggest thing for me when I was breaking this schedule down. And then I have Stanford and Oregon interchangeably both at 9-3. and three. Uh, I kind of flipped a coin and I have Stanford at two, Oregon at three. The reason that I have Oregon at three, probably the primary reason that I have Oregon at three is just knowing that Stanford's bringing a really good quarterback. Washington's bringing, uh, in my mind, a really good quarterback. And and the only question mark I really have on Oregon's depth chart is that secondary. And to be honest, I know there's a ton of hype there for that defensive line. But I got to see him in action first. I really, really want to see. What are you um, talking about, dude? So you already know about um, Jordan Scott, who is. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, you need somebody you you need. And and he's going to he's going to ruin people in the running game for sure. Yeah. But you need if Kayvon Thibodeau comes as advertised off the edge, it's over. Like it, it. But but it's very rare. And you know this. It's very rare for an edge rusher to be who he's going to be as a freshman. I mean, unless he's, he's un- unless he's Terrell sucks, <laughs> which, which some people think Terrell, yeah. I mean, and then I think that they have some under other underrated pass rusters like Gus Cumberlander. Um, and well, Jerry Baker's got a lot of experience oh, too. And then that, that DJ Johnson kid who transferred from Miami is supposed to be legit too. Um, so we'll, we'll see, man. I mean, it's going to be interesting. So who do you have Oregon's three losses as? Uh, Let me see. I think I have them dropping to Auburn. Oh, God. You're already killing killing the conference. Okay, go on. Yeah, well, I can only go off of how things have – how things have gone uh, previously, and it's hard to have a ton of faith in the conference right now. But uh, I think Auburn, 
uh, at Stanford, I thought was going to be rough and at Washington. So I basically have them running the table at home um, and beating USC at USC. So I have them at nine and three Yeah. with, I, I guess the tiebreaker would be the, all that September 21st game at Stanford. If they're able to win that game, then I think that they'll, they'll not only hang on, um, and uh, and and be the number two team in the conference, but they might have the momentum to go ahead and beat Washington as well. So I think the most important game for the conference is definitely the kickoff game on August thirty first. But the most important game for for Oregon is when they jump from playing Montana to at Stanford because that's yeah. going to be like jumping from the hot tub into the icy, you know, icy cold <laughs> water. That's going to be that's that's going to be rough. That's going to be a little bit of a wake up call. So how do you how do you have what you said you have Stanford at nine and three, right? Yep, I have uh, Washington eleven and one, Stanford nine and three, Oregon nine and three. I've got Cal at six and six, Washington State at seven and five, but having a worse conference record in Oregon State. At Who are Stanford's three losses? Let's see. I think I have. Uh, I think I have Stanford losing to some teams that they shouldn't lose to, like they do every year. Yep. Uh, I, I think they may drop that Cal game. They play. They play to the level of their competition. I do. I do. I think have them losing that Cal game, and um, but Notre Dame. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I think that is one of them as well. And I think I might have them actually screwing up against USC. Yeah, um, I I got them losing to USC too this year because I think USC is mad, and I think that those players at USC really like Clay Helton. And they know that his that his ass is on a he's not even on a hot seat he's on an ejection seat right now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's in danger of being the second coach that they left at an airport for sure. <laughs> I thought they were going to leave him leave him there last year, man. I really yeah, did. I think so. I think Notre Dame's going to be tough. Oh man, if they come out and lose to Northwestern, that's going to be real bad. But because they 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 did struggle last year, they went seven and five and lost four conference games, uh, but. The, the they play at UCF. That is so I mean they got they got Northwestern at USC and at UCF and then home against Oregon all in a row. That's I'm why sure I'm that saying in some that world they could start zero four. You you that's why I'm so surprised that you picked Stanford to beat Oregon after the way that their schedule starts, man. Like that's brutal. Yeah, it's and it's tough for me because they got the most they got the most experienced quarterback in the in the. Uh, they they pro I'm I would put him up go, there. Go right go now. ahead and backtrack it, Ralph. Go ahead and backtrack it. You can you can change your opinion now. It's okay. I mean, I would put him up there just production wise with Herbert. Yeah. Uh and then yeah. And, and especially especially because they had to kind of get away from their game plan to get him that production. So that was a pleasant surprise. They've got the best offensive lineman in the conference in Walker Little. They got the best tight end in the conference in Colby Parkinson. So the guys that they usually rely on are there. Running back is a question mark. Um, but, you know, it's not like Cam- Cameron Scarlett, he did score eight touchdowns last year and he's back. Yeah, so, but Cameron Scarlett is not special. Like, he's a good back. Yeah. I mean, he is uh, – and I know that Oregon is, is, is my squad, but I don't think that C.J. Verdell is even a special back. I think he's a good back. I think yeah. he is more um, – I think he's more who, who who would some other decent I I, I think he's more he's more of a, a like a, a what's that dude from Thunderbird High School that was a four year backup out there um hmm. Kenai Benoit 
Uh, no, 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 no. I think he's better than that. I think he's more of a a Joe McKnight than a Reggie Bush, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, okay, so still still a feature guy, but not not like electric, not elite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's Royce Freeman, not Jonathan Stewart. Yeah. You know, he's good. You know, he's good. But yeah. Kind of like that. How do you what do you think Mike Leach's squad is gonna do this year? And by by the way, on a side note, I think Mike Leach shrunk. I thought he was taller. I mean, I've stood next to him. I've talked to him. But this year, I feel like he's getting, you know how old people shrink when they get older? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's he, getting shorter. I, I, I'm, I think he might even be in a little bit better shape. But, like, his head size didn't change. And so he's, <laughs> he's out there carrying a mascot's head on a, on a, on a like, a diminutive guy's body. Well, that's so what I happens that, when you lose a lot of weight, man. <laughs> yeah, and then he's got the he's got the puffy hair, so it makes the head even bigger. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I <laughs> I look at I think they're gonna probably win out their no, their non conference schedule because it's not really that. Well, they better uh, New Mexico State, Northern Colorado, and Houston. But I mean, you saw what Houston did to University of Arizona last year, so like that's not a gimme, and it's at Houston. But I do I do think that they'll get those, and then and then I mean. At Utah, September twenty eighth. At or at Arizona State, which I mean, if you're from Pullman and you got an October twelfth game, I hope that game kicks off at like two in the afternoon because then I you're going to you see. I uh, then you're gonna, then you're really going to see the difference. Just like Arizona State going up in in mid October, you know, to play at Washington State, I would love for that game to kick off at seven thirty, just because it's so much fun to see a fish out of water and see how they adapt and how they evolve, you know. Um, yep. And then have it, they got at Oregon and at Cal, and I have them losing at Cal. Uh, but they, I just feel like they go from having a pretty easy schedule to really getting into the weeds. Um, and then and then they've never won the Apple Cup under Leach, right? So you've got you've got uh, uh, the Washington game at the at the end of the year, um, and that's going to be pretty telling, especially to have to go through with another. Um, another big sky transfer uh at quarterback and i think they have two se- they have two seniors right so I don't, I don't know if that's a battle or not but i do think that um i i do think it's going to be way less production at quarterback than at, had last year after what he did last year with the quarterback and now the kid at eastern washington have been putting up big time numbers uh gauge gauge Gerbrud, or I, I think that's how you pronounce it we will we will find out soon but um i if he can turn another quarterback into a heisman finalist oh then why would you go anywhere else i mean well, well besides if you don't like snow but like besides oklahoma it, yeah exactly no exactly and so but not everybody can go to oklahoma so those should really be your top two choices every single year uh, I think losing Jalen Thompson was a much bigger deal than I've heard people make it out to be. I think Jalen Thompson was their best defensive player. I think he was probably a even, top five defensive player in the whole. Better conference. than Hercules? Yeah, I mean, he would. I think he was the best safety. I honestly think he was the best safety. I think that you, when you see an NFL team surrender a pick to be able to go get somebody in a supplemental draft, I think that should tell yeah, you everything you know true. about that player's ability. So. Uh, I think losing him will be a really, really big deal because there's a really good chance they might have to start a freshman in his absence. And, you know, and that can be kind of tough too. Yeah. So uh, the, their linebackers are very, very, very good. 
but there's not a lot of depth there. They, this team, this is my biggest issue. This team does not have depth. They have a lot of experience, and and behind it uh, are some you know guys that weren't really highly recruited. Uh, and and if they're not highly recruited, then getting them in early is probably a problem. But this program is really good at developing. Yeah. And so if they you know if they can stay healthy, they'll be a lot more competitive than I'm giving them credit for. Uh, and they also Jamar Jameer Calvin, their wide receiver. Um, he's uh, he he's got way more ability than his production has shown, and he'll be a junior. If he goes off, it's going to be really really tough yeah. to 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 stop them because they distribute the ball so so well anyway. And he wasn't even a guy who was in their top five receivers last year, and he's going to start for them this year. So if he goes off, and they still have four of their top five returning receivers from last year. Uh, then they're definitely going to be a problem. But I don't, I don't trust in them at the quarterback position yeah. or in the defensive backfield, and I don't think they have the depth to be uh, competing for a championship this year. Yeah, and and with Cal moving on to Cal just for a hot second, I know he hit him a little bit, but th- this is a team. If if I had a crush on any team in the Pac-12, it would be Cal, <laughs> just because I believe in their coaches, I believe in their coaching staff, and I think that they are some players away from like they don't have maybe one player yeah. away maybe one player well away. I, I don't think they have enough talent to 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 run through an entire pac 12 schedule at this point but i do think that they are recruiting the right guys and i think in a justin wilcox provided that like uh i don't think he would ever go to usc no matter how much money they offered him because he's a principled person and it didn't go well last time so besides like ucla or Oregon opening up, uh, I I don't, or maybe Washington, but probably not. I don't see a situation where he leaves Cal. He's committed to being there. He likes it, you know. So, so, so I think that he has a like a good. Uh, you know, I think that this team is definitely headed in the right direction. Do you have anything to add on Oregon State? Oregon State is just that I love their I love their running game. Uh, Jamar Jefferson last year wasn't even supposed to be the guy, and what he did, and no one talks about it because Eno Benjamin broke the Pac-12 single game rushing record against Oregon State, which I, I feel like every running back was fixing to try to do against them uh, last year. But no one talks about the fact that Jamar Jefferson went went off for over 200 yards in that game, and he again wasn't even really supposed to be the guy. And so they're they're returning they're returning, I think, eighteen hundred yards worth of rushing from Jamar Jefferson and Artavis yeah. Pierce. Sixteen touchdowns. I mean, both well, Artavis Pierce averaged almost eight yards a carry. Uh, it it's really just going to come down to whether or not they get any any production at all from the quarterback position. And I personally don't believe they can make it even halfway through the season with Jake Luton taking snaps. I mean, it, it, Tristan Gebbia was one of like a West coast darling. Everybody wanted him. And I think he surprised a lot of people by going to Nebraska, which is just something that happens in the Pac-12. The, the talent from out this way leaves to go to other conferences because of all the things that we've already discussed. But I think Tristan Gebbia could be a star. And if he takes this team over and he's like really a true leader, I'm not sure if they're making him sit out this year or not. Um, but I mean, if he, if he's good to go and he's cleared, They've got really good receivers. They've got a pretty experienced offensive line, and their running backs are studs. And so it's really just going to come down to the fact of, of like whether or not the defense can stop anybody. 
because the defense is bringing back six starters from a defense that was 12th uh, in the conference in scoring, 12th in rushing yards allowed, and 10th in passing yards allowed. But there's guys like Hamilcar Rashad Jr. who could be a superstar. It just It's going to take some type of consistency, some level of coaching skill to make sure that they don't get the doors blown off them when they open against Oklahoma State. Like, they could give up 60 in week one, and if they give up 60 in week one, I mean, I don't know <laughs> if you're going to be able to get people back, uh, you know, uh, paying attention to this team at all or taking them seriously. So then they go at Hawaii, and Hawaii's been known to score some points. You know, they just need to make sure that they're competitive right away. Like, they can't they can't get the doors blown off them. You know, it was nice of them to hang around for a half against Ohio State last year, um, but they can't do what they did in the second half and give up, like, 40. To, to Oklahoma State, they they can't do that. Especially because they got them. At I, I don't know why you so are expecting I, anything else. I don't know why you're expecting literally anything out of <sighs> Oregon State at this point in point in time until they show it. I do think that Jonathan Smith's doing a good job with the team. I think that they are much better. Like that's like that's not any knock on them in terms of that. But the reality is that this is not a good football team. They're not competitive. Um. I mean it and until they become competitive again like they're they're just going to be a footnote when it comes to podcasts when it comes to being talked yeah. about because you because you have to play to the choir I mean like you have to play to the crowd and the and Oregon State doesn't have the crowd they have passionate fans but there's only so much passion that fans can have when you don't give them anything to cheer about anything to defend your to defend you about well, you're gonna they're gonna score points. And so like if you wanna see them score, you know, go ahead and go out. If you wanna see them get scored on, you know, that's also a great place to see. But they opened last year, they dropped thirty one at Ohio State, forty eight on Southern Utah, thirty five at Nevada, and then I mean they had thirty seven against Washington State, whose defense was much improved. They put forty one on Colorado. They broke, you know, internal rushing records at Arizona State on the road, and then they really just kind of ran out of gas. Um, and so uh, I, if they get some quarterback play, maybe they can get to the point where they compete to possibly qualify for a bowl, but the North is so loaded that they're probably not going to win a game against anybody in their ding, ding, side ding. of the division. So they're going to have to sneak it against somebody else. Like They're going to have to beat Arizona on the road on November 2nd, which could happen. Oh, but they, I mean, they got Utah there. They go to UCLA instead of playing UCLA at home. I think that's going to be a problem for them. And then they finish the the season at Washington state and at Oregon. I have them going three and nine. I'm looking at this schedule and it's very possible that they go two and 10 again. And if they do, I know Jonathan Smith is super popular. and I know the offensive scoring points. But do they go back and look for a coach? Uh, no, 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 no. I, th- I think that they're in with Jonathan Smith for at least three years. They're going to give him a chance. He's getting a bunch of transfers from other schools, you know, even even though that they are recruiting other players, <laughs> other teams' players, like sending, sending uh, yeah. recruiting stuff to people in Hawaii. But, you know, like this is a team that is – I think is going to be much improved from last year. I don't think that their record is going to necessarily reflect because what they, they won two games last year. And I think that they're going to end up in the same way, but they're not going to be, but they're going to be much improved. So they're going to be much more competitive, but the speaking of competitive 
in, in terms of the Pac-12 South is going to be competitive, but not quite as talented in, in terms of the teams aren't as good in the South as they are in the North. But right. there will be much more competition. This is where you, you and I have our, our, our – we are pretty close in the North, you and I. We're so radically different in our predictions of the Who South. Who do you have in the South? Well, I have USC okay. winning it. Uh, I have them going eight and four and winning it, and then I have UCLA going one and eleven and finishing sixth. So you tell me who you have winning the South. What you have UCLA going one and eleven? That is absurd. I I, at first, I was going to yeah. say that you weren't that absurd for the um, <laughs> that you weren't that absurd for the USC pick because they do have talent. And I do think that they have motivation, Clay Helton, all of that. I do. So USC winning it is not unreasonable. However, UCLA, this year they will beat Cincinnati. They will beat San Diego State. Okay. They are going to be okay. They are going to be significantly more competitive against Oklahoma than they were last year. I think that this is a close, close, that this is a one-score game going into the third quarter. Um okay. <laughs> Uh, they're good. I mean, they got wa- at Washington State, at Arizona, which they will win. Um, they're going to beat Oregon State. Uh, yeah, they're going to beat Colorado. Like this is this is the I'm UCLA will be in a bowl game first and foremost. They were three okay. and nine last year, and here is what I know. Here is what I know, Ralph. I am going on record right now. I am picking UCLA to win the South. That's amazing to me. I, I mean, good on them because if they can pull it here off. is the thing I know about Chip Kelly, about being around Chip Kelly, seeing this man work. Last year, he tried to put in his offense with the guys that he had. He knew he didn't have the dudes. So, what did he do middle of the season? Switched up his entire offense. He was in three tight end sets a lot of times, which you've never seen out of Chip Kelly. Running the football, pounding it like old school running the football. Chip Kelly's going to do what works. And he's got another year, another recruiting cycle, all of this stuff, and he is going to come up with a magic trick like he did at Oregon when Oregon didn't have the same uh, top 10 classes like they're getting now. He's going to come up with a magic trick that is going to take a, people a year or two to try to figure out, and it's going to be too late, and then he's going to get better recruits, and then it's going to be too late. He's going to win the South this year. I'm telling you, Dorian Thompson Green, uh, um, Thompson Robinson is going to be better this year. His dad's going to shut up. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And when okay. you look at when you look at their their team in general, right? You're looking at their they have a top. I would say an underrated running back in Joshua Kelly, who transferred from what Davis and had a phenomenal year last year. There, he's a true he's a true yeah. workhorse feature back. Um, yeah. What they have uh, Felton and Theo Howard are good at wide wide receiver. Chase Coda did nothing last year, but he comes from good stock. Should be good good this year, even though he played a decent amount. Their biggest. Uh, question marks are going to be around their offensive line, whether uh, Tagaloa, Murray, Alves, Burton, and Ryan can actually do something. Like we, 
Yeah, well, good luck starting two freshmen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I know I'm just not a believer, man. I I I know I know that you know you could probably say that they maybe got three of the top twenty players in the Pac-12 if you put Josh Kelly, Darnay Holmes, and Chris Barnes on that list. Um, but I mean, outside of that, I don't know. I honestly, I. Uh, Theo Howard's had four touchdowns last year, but you know, I, the, just the production's not really there. The experience isn't really there. This is the same team that started out zero and six last year. It really is. They're bringing back a lot of experience from that. And yeah, they put the they laid the wood on on Cal at Cal. And yeah, their last three weeks were actually pretty Thank impressive. You. I was at that Thank Arizona you. State game. I watched them. I watched them beat a USC team that had a bowl on the line, and then they put forty two on Stanford. You know, and and Stanford's defense was pretty terrible at that time. But what we have to remember is while they were performing better on the offensive side of the football, the defense stayed yeah, terrible. That defense <laughs> is the worst. If you if you substitute that Cal game and 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 you and I both know Cal had an issue at, at quarterback and throwing a young guy to the wolves. And if you substitute if you take that, if you just throw the Cal game out, you know, it completely. And then, you know, then and you pick maybe the worst game that they had uh, defensively, maybe that uh, at Oklahoma or the last game against Stanford and throw that out. You just are left with the 10 games that are in the middle. That is a god-awful year that they had in a conference that didn't really have too much separating the very best. Just like if you take Oregon's horrific offensive play against Arizona last year off the table. Arizona's yeah. defense rivals them for how terrible they were. Yes. And so, and so, so give me this. Let's say that something happens to Dorian Thompson Robinson, God forbid, and he hasn't yeah. been great. He was a he's, true he's, freshman. He's going he into his third freshman. year. Yeah. He yep. showed some flashes. Uh, but, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson hasn't been great. God forbid something happens to him and you're left with Austin Burton and this supporting cast. Could that team not go 0-12? Chip Kelly's still their coach. They will win. They will they will win two <laughs> games then. <laughs> Chip Kelly cannot go over. Just like they when remember last year they were like, Chip Kelly and Scott Frost aren't gonna win a game this year. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, you have two good coaches. They'll figure something out. Um Yeah, and but my biggest issue is by the time it comes time for them to figure things out, the way their schedule works out, because I think they beat Oregon State, but then they're at Stanford. They host Arizona State, who has beat them the last two times they've gone out to the Rose Bowl. Then they host Colorado, and I'm a little bit more of a believer in Colorado than I think most people. Then at Utah, at USC, and then Cal's going to want some revenge. And so the last half of that schedule doesn't really open up for them the way uh, that it did last year with so many teams in so much disarray, the way that Stanford and USC were toward the end of the year. Uh, But you never know. Maybe those teams have some injury too. But I just know this defense gave up. 34.1 34.1 points a game last year and 445 yep. yards a game. And that's, and they had a positive yep. turnover margin and that, that still like happened. And the, so, and the team that I have number two in the South is Utah. The team that the media picked to win the conference. I, the, the problem with Utah is, is that as good as their defense is, they are well coached. Uh, Kyle Whittingham is a phenomenal coach. They are, they're tough. They're mean. They're nasty. They're all those things. The problem is they run out of talent. I mean, they're, I mean, like at some point in time, you have to have dudes. 
and they don't have enough dudes. And it starts at the, with their quarterback, Tyler Huntley, who will be coming back off an injury. I know a lot of people, oh, Shelly Shelley should play. No, Shelly is a poor man's Khalil Tate, who I don't think is that great at quarterback. So, <laughs> okay, so that explains why I yeah, like Jason Yeah, of course, of course you like Jason, Jason Shelly. You think Khalil Tate is Michael Vick. <laughs> um, yeah, so exactly yeah i think zach zach moss is gonna do his thing this year he'll be back again uh shelly is a decent quarterback he is your darren thomas type quarterback that was at oregon he is a serviceable guy but he's not special and that's where utah is going to drop a couple games i think that they um they're gonna come out they're gonna beat byu northern illinois and idaho state they're going to lose to USC. I have that. Yeah, I think they'll lose to yeah. USC. And then too. they're going to, and they're going to, the The good news for them is that they escape Oregon this year. They escape Oregon and Stanford this year. So that yeah. lends itself to a, you know, to an easier schedule, but they still got to play at Washington. So that's already two Pac-12 losses. Right. They might, um, they might dump one to Washington State just because Washington State's offense is so tricky, and you know, and then they might dump that game to uh, to either UCLA or Arizona because as much as I don't think that Khalil Tate's a great passer, he is a phenomenal runner and he is a threat. And if and if the coaches at Arizona can, if if they can get if Kevin Sumlin can get him to buy into the fact that you know, that you need to use your legs and not try to, you know, like raise your NFL quarterback stock because it's not there, then yeah. then they will perform better. And Utah melts in the heat. They got blown out. They got blown out at ASU last year against a team, ASU, that had like nine games separated by just one touchdown. So, you know, th- they had no business with that that happening to them. I know Huntley got hurt or whatever, but but I mean, I, I feel like they have a really tough time playing in the sun, and uh, and so that it's possible, um, even though that's a really really late game yeah. in the season. But I have them having a better record than than USC, but I have their three losses yeah. all coming in conference. Yeah. And you at USC is obviously going to have a tough time, um, and I have USC in the three spot. I think that this team is talented. I mean, they're, they're not short on talent. I think that they like their coaches, but in the past, they hadn't been, I don't think the players, because remember, USC was still getting top 10 recruiting classes at that point. Though, though Those guys yeah. are juniors and seniors right now. And I don't think that they got coached up as well as they needed to to be phenomenal. Like, when you get five-star guys, high four-star guys, and you coach them up, of course, some of them you missed on. They don't have the talent ability that you thought they had. But more of them should be turning out to be first-round picks, second-round picks, you know, dominant conference players, you know, like yeah. first-team All-Pac-12 potential. No, Ty- Tyler Vaughn's uh, Amon Ross St. Brown and, uh, and Michael Pittman are three of the best high school receivers I've ever seen, and they're all yeah. on the same team together. Like, and so I think having Graham Harrell as their offensive coordinator, uh, because I think J- JT Daniels definitely got a, more hate than he he deserved for what he was able to do as a, as a true freshman. But Graham Harrell's going to come in and say, like, why does why does JT Daniels have the ball for any longer than three seconds <laughs> on any given snap? 
we have the most talent of anybody in this conference by a long shot on the oh, offensive yeah. side of the ball. Get it to them as fast as possible, and then you won't have to worry about the fact that they're going to have three sophomores on the offensive line. You can give those uh, those offensive linemen time to sort of catch up. I mean, they should be running some Noel Mazzoni bubble screen nonsense until everybody. I can, wish Lane Kiffin was the, the offensive coordinator of this team. Dude, he would be feeding. I would, I would say he feeds the meter. Uh, when he's got a good wide receiver, he will feed the meter. And USC has the second best wide receiver core in the entire country. The only team that has better is Alabama with um, with Rugs and with yeah with Rugs, Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, from yeah this combination right. of Vaughn's, Pittman, and Amon Ross St. Brown? What? You don't get better than that. So the fact that USC is not expected to win the conference is more telling about coaching than it is anything else because it's not like they don't have dudes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about Clay's in-game ability, and I definitely don't think that Clancy Pendergast – as somebody who watched the Arizona Cardinals fire Clancy Pendergast the year after they lost the Super Bowl on <laughs> on one after one play, you know they still wanted to to dump that guy, and I watched him bounce all around. And I, I he's just not he's not somebody to me that it can teach at the collegiate level, and he's definitely not maximizing the the talent that they have there. And so hopefully some of the switches they made because they switched out pretty much every other position coach. Um, can can cause some things to click for guys like C.J. Pollard and Greg Johnson on that defense. They had so many injuries last year, though. I mean, that, that everybody says you know this defense is trash, but it, I don't think it would have been trash if you know Connor Murphy didn't have to miss all but four games and Greg Johnson wasn't out for the year and Isaiah Polamau didn't subluxate his shoulder, you know, going into training camp. I, I think that if all of those guys are available, then this is a team. You know, the, their total defense was seventh, so it's not as bad as everybody wanted to make it out to be, but it's definitely a top six total defense if they don't lose everybody right away to injury. And so health is going to be huge for them. Getting the ball out of uh, JT Daniels' hands as quickly as possible and in the hands of their talent is going to be huge for them. Um, but they still have some really, really tough out-conference games, and I think that Notre Dame is going gonna, is gonna to continue that tradition of – uh, the recent tradition of 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 beating um, USC. I do think they'll they'll get. Uh, I, I think they'll clip Stanford early though, and I think that'll be big uh, a big confidence booster for them. And I think they'll. My be final thing on USC is I think that it's very telling that when you look at their defense, aside from Jay Jay Tefele, like you don't see anybody scary on their defense. Like you, like you're you're not looking at their defense like oh 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 my god we can't we can't throw it there can't yeah. run that way, which you used to have. And then, uh, and I I mean the name the names pop out to me you know Elijah Griffin and Greg Johnson especially, but they also pop out to me as guys who yep. haven't shown yep. you know haven't lived. So up to that how idea. will your Arizona schools do? Is the question because. You got Herm Edwards replacing a new quarterback. Right. He's got a good running back, Anoy Benjamin, who had a phenomenal year. Like, where do these where does this team fit in his Herm taking these boys in the right direction? I think that he is. Um it, it's weird because 
you know, everybody came out and said that, you know, the hire was so terrible that we're going to take a team that's returning almost everybody and we're going to say they're going to finish last in the Pac-12 South, which got a pretty big laugh from anybody who pays attention because what you're saying is Herm would literally come in and destroy the team. Uh, <laughs> and that that didn't happen. You know, they stayed competitive. He's still the old school football. When you, when you have enough people get away from old school game plans, um, then that sort of reverses itself and becomes the new thing, right? So playing good defense and running the football isn't really a hallmark of a lot of the air raid stuff that's been going on in college football recently. And so when you have a team that comes in and tries to have a ball control offense, you know, a la Stanford, all of a sudden, that's a thing that you, that's just another thing that you weren't ready to game plan for. And so, you know, they had a lot of success. Uh, I think that there were coaching mistakes, which led to them losing at San Diego State. Uh, last year, they were competitive at Washington, which I think opened a lot of people's eyes. And then, uh, and then everything just sort of broke down at Colorado um, with uh, with Nikhil Harry getting hurt, um, and uh, and then you know Colorado won that game and then didn't win another game after that. And then at Stanford, it was just more mismanaged uh, coaching stuff. And so. If they can correct some of the in-game stuff that they do and they can get a little bit more production out of the quarterback um, position, then this is a team that could surprise some people and maybe even compete for a Pac-12 South title. I have them third. I have them going six and six. It's a pretty difficult schedule. Um, They got six senior offensive linemen, uh, which is huge. They've got Eno Benjamin. you know, who ran for 1,642 yards, 16 touchdowns last year. Uh, and it, and they got a couple of really, really good receivers who have a ton of experience. So the offense is set outside of the quarterback position. And so a lot of people think Jaden Daniels, a talented freshman, will take over. He's getting the keys to a brand-new car. It's just up to him not to crash it. So offensively, I think they'll be fine. Defensively, they're returning almost everybody except the D-line. Uh is very questionable so if the d-line can't get any pressure you're going to waste a super good defense i've got questions about the coaching staff's ability to make the in-game adjustments necessary to win some of these big games based on what i saw last year and i've got a lot of questions about the quarterback position and the defensive line so with all of those things being said i think they have a mediocre season but they're competitive in every single game. I think it'll probably so be Will Herm Edwards and his coaching staff, uh, Antonio Pierce, all these dudes ever be able to turn Arizona State into a a Pac-12 champion? Theoretically, I mean they they could just because of how volatile um, the the Pac-12 is. But they're going to have to do something that nobody else has been able to do, which is to get some of the local talent to stay local. Um, you know, they didn't do it this year and they've had to take, they've taken to recruiting the East coast, which was a oh, yeah. for disaster under Todd Graham. So, so we're back to that. Um, but having Marvin Lewis here, dude, imagine being a kid and having your dad run into Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards in the hall. Oh yeah. He's, he's like, son, come, days. come, come here. They'll make you a man. They'll make you a man. Yeah. I mean, that, this is, this is football dad heaven, right? That's what this is. Like, if I had a chance for my, like, 
I probably like tell my son to leave the room so just I could talk to Marvin Lewis and, and Herm Edwards and, right. and Antonio Pierce. So, you know, and they got Mike Bercovici back coaching quarterbacks after he took the probably the most famous hit in the history of the AAF. Uh, he's got he he's got he's got a, a a big role just as a GA because they don't really have a quarterbacks coach um, on staff. They have a wide receivers coach. Uh, in Charlie Fisher, who used to be the head coach at Western Illinois and actually left his head coaching position after he signed his recruiting class to come be a wide receiver coach for Herm Edwards because he was a, you know, he's a true believer in, in what Herm is doing. And then you got Rob Likens, who was a wide receivers coach at Cal, who was an offensive coordinator at Kansas, you know, uh, and then a wide receivers coach out at ASU. And he got promoted into the job um, sort of by accident. And so he's trying to lock that down and show that he's really uh, going to be able to, to, to captain this ship at a high level. So that'll be really, really interesting to see. Um, but the biggest hurdle for them, it, you know, they're going to develop some of these players and that's going to be fantastic. But next year, if they get a quarterback, who's a star, the biggest problem for them next year is graduating six senior offensive linemen and having nobody with any experience behind them. So uh, the timing might not necessarily work out. They're going to have a good defense. They're going to run the football this year, but next yeah. year they might not be able to run the football. So you have to adjust on the fly, and it's just a matter of whether or not this coaching staff can can do that. So um, it's a big I don't know, a long winded I don't know for me, uh, which moves me on to Arizona. Oh God, who, you uh, are the opposite. In love with State. you are in love with a stripper. You're in love with I a am. stripper. <laughs> I am. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I'm paying the rent. I'm paying the rent. Uh, I can't even afford it. So. Uh, I, I, I like Khalil Tate. I do not like most of the rest of the roster. So complete opposite of Arizona State where I love the roster. Well, you have to like J.J. Taylor, at running back. Uh, yeah, J.J. Taylor at running back is, is really, really great. It'd be super cool to see what he can do in conjunction with a healthy Khalil Tate. Because I mean, game planning for that, you know, especially if they were to run any type of option that I know that he never wanted to run in the first place. Um, but if they run any type of option, that'd be really, really tough to game plan for. And it could hide some of the deficiencies that they have at receiver and on the offensive line. Um, I, I'm not a believer in that coaching staff. I'm not a believer in the in the depth at offensive line, defensive line, or the defensive backfield. I think they got some pretty good linebackers. But I'm not sure how much yep. that's going to. I mean, matter. aside yeah, um, aside from Colin Colin Schooler, this is a this, this is a bunch of two star two star Scoobies. Where it has Scooby Scooby yeah, right exactly. Yep, and and I don't and and it's been, they're not necessarily yep. people who. And work I'm scared like of Scooby this team so, in terms uh, of how they're actually going to do because last year they got drowned by Houston. They. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. they lost to Utah to I, – I mean, I didn't mean Utah. They lost, well, to BYU. Um, like, it, it just was not pretty a lot of times. It just was not pretty. Do you want to hear – do you want to hear something incredibly scary about this Arizona Wildcats team? So, Khalil yep. Tate had a terrible year, right? That's That's the consensus. And it wasn't that it was a terrible year on its face. It's that he was supposed to yeah. compete for the Heisman. And, and yep. he couldn't run. Correct. He didn't run at all. He had 224 yeah, when, when yards When he was rushing, expected to have like, like 1,500, yeah. 224 a game. Yeah, because he did it like three times as a sophomore. He ran for more than he had as a season total last year. 
So, so with all that said, with the quarterback having a down year and with them not being able to run the ball the way they wanted to, they were first in the conference know, in rushing so and third in passing. They yep. were first in total offense. They were first in total offense in the conference. And so if Khalil Tate is right, this is a dangerous, dangerous offense. I mean, if they were first last year at 457 yards a game and Khalil Tate was beat up the whole time and not getting along with the offensive coordinator, you know, and they had to play against some tough defenses, uh, it, you know, it could be really scary. It could be really, really, really scary to see what they do. Um, but at the same time, with this defense, oh, Tony Fields and Colin Schooler uh, are are fun to watch at linebacker. I think everybody else on this defense might have a hard time starting on any other team in the whole Pac-12 outside of Oregon State. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, they could easily go eight and four. They could turn around and go four and eight. I have oh, oh eight. well, I I totally agree with you there that they're going to be the bottom. And I'd say they're eight and four if if I believe that that coaching staff believed in Khalil Tate at all. But I don't think they do. I don't think they like him at all. Oh, I, I don't. I don't think they like him either. I think that he's just the best bad option right now. Oh, how? Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in love with a stripper that the manager of the club doesn't even like. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, oh, so the the last team that we have to talk about is Colorado, um, and yeah, it is just like that. This is a team that Mel Tucker's taken over. They started out five and zero last year, five and zero, but they only. I mean, they beat Colorado State, Nebraska, New Hampshire, UCLA, Arizona State, and everybody's like, they're going to a bowl game. Yeah, slow down, slow down. No bowl game, <laughs> no soup for you. They ended up five and seven, and they weren't. And by the end of the year, they weren't even functional. I mean they they weren't even yeah. a functioning football team by the time they hit November last year. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were they were maybe the worst team in the country in November. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they were yeah. Terrible. This is a team with a new head coach going to start a an entirely new process and all of that it is going to be interesting to 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 see how they do oh uh, yes LaVisca, though. oh yeah best uh, to, me, to me he's, yeah, but he's the, the best player in the is, 12, is man. That he can only do so much he can only do so much yeah. and last year they put so much weight on his shoulders had over a hundred and some wide, uh, receiving yards a game, was rushing the ball, throwing the ball, catching the ball, returning kicks, returning punts, like to keep them competitive. And he and he got and he got hurt. Like there's only so many like hits that a player can take before something eventually happens. Like like I mean you know like he's not Christian McCaffrey who's a running back who's used to taking a billion hits yeah. in a game or is able to fall down and all of that stuff. No like. When you put wide receivers in that position, bad things happen. And Colorado is going to be they're they're short on talent. They are short on I mean, in terms of being competitive. Uh Steven Montez should be better, but you know. But the offensive yeah. line is so young. Dude, he's going <laughs> to so be running for experience. His life. They got Yeah, they got two sophomores back on this line who were starters yep. all year last year. And they're going to add a freshman to that mix. Like that is, that's horrifying to think about. And I like Montez. I think he's built to take that beating. 
Yeah, he's a big boy, he's a right? Crash test dummy. He is. Yeah, he's six five, yeah. two thirty. Yeah, crash, crash test dummy size. But no, no, no team in the history of football built around a wide receiver has ever been built to succeed in the long run. And they're, I mean, they, they, they don't have a ton of skill at running back. You know, Philip Lindsay's not walking through that door. So you know, I, and then their defensive line is just. Yep. I mean, I think they got one guy I with totally any do. experience coming back. Now, uh, uh, Ralph, to finish up, to finish up the Pac-12 apostles, yes. will. Since you have Washington winning the conference at eleven and one, play, playing USC do, in yeah. the Pac-12 championship, we know USC will be coming off a yes. bye going into that game because of the outrageous schedule. Who wins that game? Yeah, because I think because it's uh, I think because it's still in Northern California, and for some reason USC is allergic to playing there. I think that you'll still you'll have Washington come out mm-hmm. at twelve and one. And still not have a crack oh, at the at the, at the oh, national championship. Geez. See, I hold on, hold How on. How horrible the only way be? that that happens is if Oregon beats if Oregon beats Auburn, then an eleven and one Washington will have a chance to make it. I think that they will that they'll be that they will ultimately get left out. They'll they'll be at number five. So that's what I, that's my thinking too. Is that the only shot that the Pac twelve has at someone playing for a national championship is if it's Oregon that comes out and that includes a victory over a Washington team that didn't lose to anybody else. Boom. That's, that's I like it. it. I like it, Ralph. I like it. I love it. And you guys are listening to the Pac-12 Apostles, George Reister, Ralph Amston. You guys, make sure you guys share the podcast with everybody. Tell them all Pac-12 fans must unite. This is very important. Isn't that right, Ralph? I need to hear from some other people who love strippers out there. I, I need to know where my Khalil State fans are at. So definitely get, get at me on Twitter and let me know I'm not alone. All right. Peace out. We will catch you guys next week.